everyone. Welcome back to the Leadership Podcast, where we talk about the social responsibility of business leaders. Thanks so much for everyone listening. And we're going to do something a little bit different this week. We're going to take some questions from some of our regular listeners that we solicited on social media and elsewhere and try to, you know, bring the normal expertise that we bring to the news cycle to some things that have been on all of your minds. So thanks to everyone who submitted a question. And once we give you what is obviously the right answer, (laughs) I want you to go and, uh, you know, give us a review that says, thanks for answering my question. Right, Adriel? Is that that seems that, like reasonable instruction? That sounds exactly right. I love it. Yes, do that. <laughs> how how are you doing this week? Before we get into it, I know you're traveling. Yeah, this week. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just narrowly escaped the uh, the smog that has taken over New York due to the wildfires Yikes. in Canada. Apparently, they've like grounded some flights at LaGuardia, and I just flew out of LaGuardia. So wow, I, it's that bad. Yeah, They're grounding flights. Visibility is very poor. Um, and yes, they're telling people to mask up while outside or to just not be outside. It's a little scary. That's wow. I Yeah, I saw some people just briefly on Instagram posting photos of yeah. it, but I didn't realize that it's that bad that they can't even fly in. And oh, yeah. The skies are like orange wild. and red. It's it's eerie very eerie well um on travel related news i also just got back yeah. home um, from the airport and had some pretty crazy travel stories okay. and i just want to go on a little mini <laughs> rant um i just sat next to a very lovely family the mom traveling with an eight month old and a three and a half year old wow and they were sitting right next to me and i'm a parent mm-hmm. i have been there um and so you know the kids kicking me mm-hmm. like being upset mm-hmm. the baby's crying None of that really bothers sure. me. In fact, I, I spent like half the plane ride entertaining this three-year-old Aww. and the mom like loved me. And at the end, I got invited to the three-year-old's house. And so I felt like, you know, that was <laughs> yeah, a win. Yeah. So I really, I really won over a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, we high-fived and it was pretty great. But I figured out halfway through this mm-hmm. flight that the father was on the plane sitting in first class. Excuse me? <laughs> what? Yes. They got up. They got up and walked over and like said hi to him. And I was like, my mind was blown. Wow. That this woman was back here in coach watching two kids. Like not just kids, like babies. Babies. And the and the dad's like enjoying himself in first class. My goodness. I you know, there was a story on Facebook recently that I saw and these parents sat in first class while their child, who's I think ten or eleven, was in coach, and they were like, "Did we do the right thing by themselves?" Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think he was either by himself or what? I, I think he was by himself. Yeah, I, I, they're a well-traveled family, and so I think they're used to it. But they were like, "He doesn't deserve to be in first class with us," and I'm just like, "I don't." Uh, but he's ten. I don't understand the what? logic here. I yeah, I don't know. Oh, that would grind my gears. That that's also wild to me. But I was wow. I was just you know like I'm sitting here being kicked with this kid. I'm like feeling compassion yeah. for the mom. Like oh man, it's so tra- so hard to travel <sighs> by yourself with these two kids. I totally get it. No, the dad's on the plane, just uh, in first class. And this was like a several hours long uh, flight, I mean, right? Hell yeah, no. it was it was L.A. to <laughs> Chicago. It was three and a half Absolutely hours. Absolutely not. 
no. I was like, my wife would murder oh. me if I even suggested something like Unreal. that. Men do better. That's my uh, story. And then on my on the way to LA, one of my colleagues had someone take off their socks and shoes uh, yes. next to yes. her. I thought these people were a myth. I was like, <laughs> no one would ever do that on a plane. Like shoes off maybe, but yeah. socks? What? Yeah, it's a thing. So air travel etiquette, people. Yeah. Do not do not abandon your partner to be alone with kids if there are two kids and there are two of you. And please, for the love of God, don't take off your socks and shoes. Don't take off your shoes. Definitely don't take off yeah. your socks. That's disgusting. Oh, mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> so that's our first piece of advice. Oh. Now let's get into the questions. Yes. This is going to be fun. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Um, We've got some. We've got a wide range of questions that people were, were curious about, and so I think we're just going to alternate and dig in and, and see what advice we can give some people. So maybe we start with someone wanted to know how do we best communicate to bring people along on things like digital transformation. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, a challenging one. And you know, I obviously have a, a pretty significant background in this, but I like that one. They focused on the communication mm-hmm. part because I think that's an underappreciated part of doing any kind of change initiative. Right. And I really think we could sub in digital transformation for any kind of transformation yeah, here, right? Absolutely. Well, you are the change management expert. So what are these sort of steps that you would lay out for someone? I'm going to stipulate that I would really want to get to know the, the, the culture of the organization specifically. Mm-hmm. So whoever you know submitted this question, I just I'd start there is like there's some things that are specific to your culture that really resonate more than other yeah. things. So if you're a remote first culture, for example, mm-hmm. you're going to define remote mediums that reinforce the narrative. If you're more in person, if you have a like very collaborative work environment, um, you know, there's probably some all staff type meetings or, you know, there's some forums that might exist um, that could be well taken advantage of. I tend to think that we have to over-communicate about anything that is changing, mm-hmm. no matter what it is, but especially when it's big and important. Yeah, We really need to have all options on the mm-hmm. table, basically. Yeah, You know, like, have it be come from the top down in terms of from the CEO. Have it come in middle management, like one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. Have it come in memos. Have it, come, have it be reinforced in the narrative. You know, oftentimes people will create um, camp, like literal campaigns. They'll call it, they'll call it something, and that will be what people talk about and it's meant to be it's meant to do the same thing that external campaigns do right in terms of having giving us language to talk about where we're going Mm -hmm. and i think that is important especially when we're talking about um you know something that's going to be usually a multi-year initiative i mean digital transformation is one of those things that is kind of nebulous because it could mean anything yeah (laughs) you know like depending on the size of the company and like what we're actually talking about usually it, it means some kind of systems and platform change along with the behavior that has to change along with it that people so people understand how to use those tools differently. Mm-hmm. It can mean, you know, creating value at new frontiers, launching new product lines, like it could mean a lot of things. Yeah. But almost always it means looking out into something that's going to take a long time and people are going to wonder what what we're doing and why we're doing it probably more than once. Yeah. Definitely. So overemphasize, put a lot of persuasion into the language so that you don't take for granted the fact that people need to understand the why behind what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anything you would add to that? Um, 
You know, I feel like one thing that people often miss is actually consulting with the folks that are going to be impacted by the changes, by the transformation ahead of time. I think it's it, it tends to be harsher when, you know, leadership is just like, hey, we're doing this thing and we're going to change it. And that's that. And they haven't really thought through or considered how those changes will directly impact the folks that are involved that are keeping their business or organization running. And so I know it's not always possible, but whenever possible, if there is an opportunity to consult the people that are going to be directly impacted, whether that's just, hey, we're considering this systemic change or whatever it may be. What are your thoughts? You know, talk to me about your current workflow, because a lot of leaders have no idea what people are doing day to day and what tools they're using or what challenges they're facing or roadblocks. And so doing a check in can go a long way before you decide on a change that, yeah, sounds good to you, sounds good for the bottom line. But how does that impact people from point A to B as you aim for whatever that goal is? So that's the only thing that I would add. That's a super important note. Thank you for calling that out because I do think we take for granted the fact that people on the front lines and at different levels of the org mm -hmm. chart have different experiences yes. with what needs to change mm -hmm. and that if we can get them involved and we can have kind of, you know, engagement on a change initiative from the top down, yeah. it's always going to be more successful. I mean, we have the data on this. I think McKinsey's done the same um, you know, transformation study on large corporations for the past like 15, 20 yep. <laughs> years. And it inevitably ends up that two out of three large scale transformations don't achieve their goals. And why do they not achieve their goals? Because they didn't get the right people involved. Right. They didn't, you know, have engagement with everyone. It came from the top down and people didn't didn't understand it, you know, or just completely refused to actually engage with it or, or work differently. Mm -hmm. Definitely. All right. What do you, I'd actually be interested in, um, because you come from a tech background, yeah. what do you even think about when you hear something like digital transformation? I feel like this has been such a buzzword, but like, what does that, what does that mean to you? It is too high level to say. <laughs> I then, I then am like, <laughs> so okay, it yeah, it, it really doesn't. It's like, <laughs> it means nothing. what is digital transformation? We live in a digital first world now, so it could literally mean anything. Um, most of, yeah. I mean, I run an entire business do you think we've digitally. done it is that why we've already transformed digitally we don't need to talk about digital transformation we anymore. have is that, what, is that the argument you're making? <laughs> i mean we have but a lot of people have not right <laughs> i mean i i do everything digitally i i know like but in contrast i think about like my grandmother she was like i have to go run errands and pay a bill i was like you know you can do that online right she's like i know but i want to go in person and i'm like okay sure <laughs> and I'm like, I cannot recall. Appreciate that, Grandma. You know, I can't recall the last time I went in person to do something or like went to a bank. Like the last time I went to a bank was when I opened my business checking because you had to physically go in person. Um, I don't need to go there. So wow. I don't know. Digital transformation could mean anything. And I think that's part of one of the things you were mentioning is like, um, you know, kind of level setting, aligning on the language. What are we even talking about? And making sure that we have that before we <laughs> try to transform whatever it is. Yeah. So. Yeah, because it is one of those things that can mean everything and nothing. Yeah. And I feel I do feel like it's kind of evolved over the last 10 years or so where um, because so many companies have made some investment mm -hmm. or like made some transformation in terms of trying to catch up from a technology standpoint. Um, again, whether that's being on social media and part of your marketing mm -hmm. or being on zoom instead of webex you know like this could, again 
means so many exactly. things. So th doing that definition work and, and figuring out where the areas of value are for your organization is such an important mm -hmm. step because then you can really put meat on the bones so that people understand, you know, the business case for it, but also just what it yeah. is. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. You know, like we, I, I blame consultants like myself <laughs> for coming up with these businessy buzzwords over the yeah. years that like almost are intentionally obtuse or nebulous so that we can sound smart. But what they do is they cause so much confusion within the organization because no one knows what the fuck we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's exactly it. Anyway, so yeah, define, define it first. Bring people along yeah. from all parts of the org chart, you know, and then communicate, communicate, communicate. Do it, do it, you know, seven times more than you think that yes. you, by the time you are sick of it, people will just be starting to understand. Yeah, like let people tell you they're tired of you telling them. That's that's usually when you know yes. you've communicated enough when people are like, okay, we got it. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's exactly right. Uh, that was a good one. All right. Yeah. What other questions we? Let's had? see. I like this one. It's along the same lines. Before we get into some of these meteor ones, but um, how did you get into change management? Ooh. Um. Good. Good question. Questioner. <laughs> I mean, I. You know. I actually like that we did these back to back because I think they're the related concepts mm -hmm. because I did come from a communications and digital strategy background, you know, for a long time. Um, and what I found was that when I when I worked at, you know, with clients at Edelman, when I consulted with clients, you know, on freelance, when I I mean, almost in any context where we were talking about digital, and the application, when I think of digital, I really think of how is technology changing the way that we are supposed to be doing things in this context? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's the, it's the interface between technology and people. Sure. And when I think of digital strategy, that's what I think of is like, what, where can technology enhance what we're trying mm -hmm. to do here? And how, how do people understand its applications? And so when I was working on marketing strategy at Edelman, for example, people were super into the idea of digital strategy. And we would come up with what I thought were pretty innovative applications of, you know, communicating a you know content and a campaign online yeah. and what it would run into isn't that people didn't like the idea or they didn't think it was innovative or they didn't think it was the right approach it would run into these cultural issues of we don't have we don't actually have budget for for that but we have budget for our tv ads we don't actually have budget for you know like we don't have the staff actually with the training to be able to pull this off or we don't people are afraid of the risk that it's going to create mm -hmm. and we don't have policies around like how are we going to respond to people or you know we don't have like IT brought along. How are they going to feel about us like, you know, investing in these software platforms to make this work or, you know, just it would come up like all of these things were actually unrelated to the strategy itself, mm -hmm. but made the culture unable to move in that direction. Okay. And that was what really got me into change management as a concept and a practice was that, you know, I even back in my days at Edelman, you know, which is now like, like 12, 15, almost 15 years yeah. ago. Um, I was telling people that I mentored, like, we should all have a, a minor in change management for the kind of work that we're doing, because we're constantly educating people about the need for mm -hmm. it, how it's different from what they're doing, why it's important, how it's going to work, what we need to execute it. You know, change management is this interesting uh, practice of project management on the one hand, so we can actually get from A to B in terms of its implementation of mm -hmm. something, but people management on the other hand, yes. understanding where people need to be upskilled where they're going to be afraid of some kind of change, how can we get out ahead of them to help them understand mm -hmm. it, communicating with them, 
And I think that second part is often underappreciated. So that's what really got me into it was, you know, I was literally running into what's that old uh, phrase, culture eats strategy for breakfast. (laughs) Like I was the strategist that was getting my breakfast eaten by the culture of the organizations. And I was like, we need to we need to not just be good strategists, not just be good innovators. We need to help bring the whole organization along with this or else it's never going to work. And so now that's really the work we focus on at 18 Coffees. We just, you know, most of the things we're doing now are in the like ESG, DEI, like the kind of intersection of social impact and business, mm-hmm. those kinds of transformational issues. Yeah. Oh, there's nothing worse than like when people have these amazing ideas and projects and goals, and then they just completely glance over the change management piece. And then they're unable to implement it. And they're like, oh, well, this failed. And it's like, no, it, it might have actually succeeded, but you didn't actually have a plan. You right. didn't actually manage the people involved. You didn't have folks responsible for the various moving components. That's why it failed. Right. right? So the idea was good. The execution was crap yeah. because we didn't like plan exactly. accordingly for how our organization was going to react to something that was a little, little scary yeah, and new. Definitely. Oof. I mean, uh, the questioner, you know, actually asked us both. So I'm going to turn this back around on <laughs> yes. you. How did you land in your career? Where? How did you start getting into uh, DEI? Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about you coming from tech. Yeah. Like, can you flesh that out for us? Yeah. So I was, well, let me back all the way up. I was in career development um, for some time. And through that, dis- I thought you were going to say I was in kindergarten <laughs> way was back like, oh, in my how, day. How, back we <laughs> no, I was in career <laughs> development um, at the academic level for a while. And while working in career development, I kept seeing all these people coming in doing recruiting. And I was like, what's this thing? This is interesting. Um, where all these, you know, companies were coming on campus to interview students. And I got involved with that and, and thought it was, I don't know, just a unique approach to hiring people and so I started looking externally for recruiting opportunities and thought oh maybe I'll work at an agency and um, I created a LinkedIn profile well I had a LinkedIn profile profile for a while but I took it seriously because my mentor at the time was like you have to actually like put some stuff on this and I think within maybe a week some <laughs> was this in the early days yeah this is the early like days and was still being adopted yep, yep um and so I think maybe within a week or so a recruiter reached out to me from a tech company and was like hey would you be interested in coordinating and I was like I don't know what this tech company is or who you are but sure um, and so interviewed and huh. ended up at this small ish tech company. I, I don't like to call it a startup because it really wasn't. I mean, it was, but wasn't a startup. It definitely isn't a startup now. They've gone public and all that stuff. But um, yeah, as I was working there. Because of you, I assume. Oh, yes. I, I mean. You were, you were the reason for the obviously. success. <laughs> Single-handedly. <laughs> um, but so I was working there and I'm commuting from a house in Brooklyn, going into an office in Manhattan. On the way, I'm seeing all sorts of people. It's New York. You see some of everybody. I've got different types of armpits in my face on the train and all kinds of things, right? Then I get in the <laughs> office and I'm literally the only black woman there except for the security guard. And I was like, this is not normal. Um, and so I just started exploring, somehow got into this world of diversity recruiting and just pushing back. I'm like, I'm not going to keep trying to look for and hire the same types of people and that evolved into us actually creating a mm. what was called a diversity recruiting team 
um, which then led me to this much broader world of DEI, which goes into employee engagement and leadership development and metrics and data. And I found all of that to be really interesting. And so I ended up taking on some full-time roles doing a little bit of all of that. Um, and fortunately, one of the the folks that I worked with um, pretty early on was like a huge advocate for change management. And so, I, yeah. yeah, there was like project management templates, I, all these things that I didn't think would be relevant to this work that I learned about really early on. So that was helpful. Um, and then I got to a point where my last full-time role um, <laughs> just before I started, they were acquired, the company was acquired, and then we eventually got laid off. And I was like, I'm not going through this interview process again. It, it They take months in tech. Like, it, it was taking upwards mm-hmm. to three to four months for me to go through interview processes. And so I decided to test this out on my own. And a year snowballed into two. And now we're at, what, like three and a half? So, um and I don't know. I've, I've just, <laughs> I yeah, it's been great. I found my sweet spot is just leadership, inclusive leadership development. I really love working with senior leaders. And I think part of that is, again, due to the change management piece and me recognizing that ultimately they are the decision makers. I've, you know, worked tirelessly on DEI programming and projects. But at the end of the day, if your leaders are not engaged, not just bought in, but engaged, None of that stuff gets approved. None of it gets implemented. And so that's who I like to work with. Um, yeah, that's how I got here. Yeah. And now your your lis- listeners are getting a little glimpse of how you and I first crossed Yes, that. yes. Although I've, I've been in this like, of, uh, those I'm kind of tired of entrepreneurship right now. <laughs> like, can someone just tell me what to do? Yeah. I'm, you know, like. Is the, is the hustle making you tired? The hustle is exhausting. Like, there are just so many moving parts all the time and I love all of the things so it's hard to like not do some of them like I love this podcast I love YouTube I love facilitating workshops but in any given day I'm context switching between four or five different clients and projects <laughs> and I'm like right. I don't know if I'm coming or going so there's that part um but yeah yep I hear yeah. that I feel yeah. that on any given day Ugh. That's a fun, fun little uh, preview into uh, in your career, yeah. or I guess not preview. Um, what's the word? Uh, look yes. back, look back yes. into your career. Yes. And you're right about tech companies going slow. There's like a mantra in that world of uh, hire slow and fire mm-hmm. fast. You heard oh, that? Oh yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. It's definitely oh, yeah. a thing. So, um, Adriel, I'm going to ask you this okay. question: Is AI art theft? Ooh. What a meaty. Oh question that we've kind of like barely touched on in the past but is very relevant to you know the moment we're in right now around generative ai it's so hard to answer this <laughs> yes and no <laughs> right i you know i think about how ai art is generated and it's a result of the the ai systems being fed other pieces of art and photos and Yes, in a way, but then it's not an exact replica of any of those things. So no on that side of things. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. And then I have my artist friends and I know how tirelessly they've worked for years to perfect their crafts and to learn different tools and mediums and how incredible it is to see a human produce those things. 
And then there's AI art and all of these, you know, generators, Midjourney, Canva has their own now where you can type a few words and yeah. in seconds have a handful of options for whatever it is you're trying to create. And they look pretty good, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's 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 pretty. Decent. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to it's, say. Notably, uh, Adobe is the only real like platform that came out and said we intentionally we're going to include AI elements into our product suite, but we're intentionally going to train mm -hmm. it on, uh, you know, free. What's that? What's the official term? Um, you know, non rights managed art. Uh, is that the is that the official way to way to say that royalty um, free? Not maybe royalty free. That's that's probably the official way. Um, but they but they you know, have a very intense art artistic community yeah. that uses Adobe products. And I think felt an ownership over like, we need to protect our people mm -hmm. here, even as we're trying to enable them, you know, and not fall behind as a company and, and still be competitive. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Do you think it's theft? <sighs> right? So uh, when I think of the word theft, mm -hmm. if we were to if we were to define that, I think of, you know, kind of directly stealing, right? And so many things in our society aren't directly stealing. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not like, it's not like a copy of a copy. It's like, where were you inspired and did it cross mm -hmm. a line? I mean, is plagiarism theft? Hmm. Right? Like, if you, if you took fragments of someone else's work and, you know, incorporated into yours without, maybe even sometimes without even considering where it came from or doing it accidentally, mm -hmm. but it's still plagiarism. Is that theft or is it just, you know, carelessness? Sure. Um, another, another use case, there's been, you know, we, we talk a lot about generative AI and artistic work and writing right now, but our social media algorithms have been trained on the data we've been pumping into yeah. them for years. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trained on how we react to content, what we write, what our mood is, what we're sharing. And they learn from us and they learn, um, you know, what we best mm -hmm. like. And they sell that fucking data to advertisers. Right. right. Is that theft? <laughs> we're freely giving it to them. Yeah. Yes. You know, like that might not be theft because we're technically yeah. pumping, you know, the data right into That's it. That's true. I, speaking of Adobe, I saw them. One of the things I've been following is how they will tweet something. They'll tweet a question like, show us your favorite outdoor image. And I'm like, so then you're going to take all of these images that people are tweeting to you to train your systems. And it makes sense. That's and right. people are willingly giving them to you. So to your point, is it theft? Every time where they, where they ask for that or um, where an app comes out that's free or super mm -hmm. cheap, that's like, give us your face and we'll, we'll generate this yeah. thing back to you. My friend uh, Kate O'Neill, who wrote a book called Tech Humanist and, and has been comes from the tech mm -hmm. sector, those that I see are throwing up red flags online being like, you are just giving the data to these yes. people to train their like, again, you, when, you, when it's free, you are the product. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. So anytime, anytime something seems too good to be true, it most likely yeah. is. But I don't think we're we're dancing around the question. So I do want to directly <laughs> answer answer this question about AI art being theft. <sighs> I do think it matters where these models are trained on. Yeah. And I think that they can be trained on, you know, art that is not under royalty management, like you said. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that there is there is a re responsibility for the companies that are creating these models to train them on things that aren't a you know are, are 
aren't artists original work where you can literally just say like give me this person's style and it will create something just like that person's style which is where we really started in this conversation right. i think we're, we're starting to move away from that a mm-hmm. little bit because so many people are throwing up red mm-hmm. flags but we shouldn't have we should have thought about that from the fucking beginning yeah, definitely. you know um so is it theft in that it is like directly stealing probably not is it ethical i think also tbd it really mm-hmm. to me depends on you know where the how the models are learning how they're built right and whether or not the person providing that data had consent in providing that data. yeah yeah the the word theft also throws me off a bit i don't think it's theft but but i will dire- directly say i don't think it's ethical <laughs> in most instances yeah, i exactly. am again seeing so many artists and photographers as i think about them too with the you know the portraits you drop a few images of yourself and we'll generate a handful of portraits for you exactly. in different locations like does that take away from are you stealing work from a photographer then a portrait photographer that sounds like theft but in a weird indirect way mm. um uh, yeah that's there's so tough. many layers like that's more like market displacement yeah. you know where it's like something came along that was kind of competitive with that thing. yeah i mean it touches on I mean, our last episode where we were talking about the the job loss or jobs being taken up by yeah. ai so which we totally solved last time we did. so definitely go back and listen to that episode absolutely um <laughs> because i think this this question is actually too mm-hmm. easy I want to I want to uh, extrapolate on this a little bit and because I was just as I was hearing myself saying, did you consent to providing the data? I'm realizing that these large language models took everything, you know, tons of things, maybe not everything, tons of things that were produced on the Internet by millions of mm-hmm. people and learned from those mm-hmm. without the consent of those people. If I published a blog 10 years ago, I did not expect an AI engine to come and crawl that and learn how I wrote right about a topic now right you know like i didn't consent to that's that that's true but i guess neither did i consent to google crawling that site well maybe i did actually consent to google crawling yeah. that site because i wanted to be found but you know like that that's hmm. the murkiness i feel like when we publish and put things out into the public on the internet yeah. is then people do a lot of crazy shit with that data Definitely. and we're kind of freely providing now it. you've got me like do i need to go back and see if i still have zynga like, <laughs> like wait a minute <laughs> I, I saw whether or not my GeoCities oh, was still Geo up. GeoCities, you know, uh, I forgot about that one. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's a tough question. I, I, I lean towards no, it's not theft in the, the traditional sense of how I think about theft and how you were defining it. But I think in a roundabout way, there is some stealing and some taking away from artists and their well-being <laughs> um, happening with yeah. AI art. And right now, because there's no regulation, it's, you know, it's kind of free for all. Yeah. I I don't think it's theft. I don't think it's necessarily ethical. Mm -hmm. And it is TBD whether or not it's going to end up being legal. Yep. Yep. See what happens. Yeah. Um, Along those lines, our next question, (laughs) staying in the realm of AI, but going into VR, um, Apple just announced and rolled out their fancy VR headset. That's what, like $3,500 or so? Um, so yeah, Caleb, can you imagine working in a VI environment? Um, and are there any pitfalls that you anticipate? I love this question because it is very, very apropos to right now after an Apple announced vision pro, mm-hmm. um, you know, you notice how they tag that pro on oh, the yeah. end so that they could <laughs> charge 
I have always been able to imagine working in a VR environment. Okay. I don't think, I actually don't think that has been hard to imagine the applications of VR to a work mm-hmm. environment, especially when we're all working remotely. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I miss about collaborating with my colleagues and one of the reasons that will still bring us into the office is being able to whiteboard things sure. out or like work collaboratively on something. Like I don't, we have virtual things for that, but it's nowhere near apples to oranges in terms of the experience. Yeah. Um, and, you know, realistically, I think we are going to get to a place where it's going to become a little bit more apples to oranges in a virtual environment. And we're going to need, even if you like being in the mm-hmm. office, we're going to have distributed workforces or talent that are in different places. And we're going to need those kind of solutions that can create somewhat of a reasonably, you know, equitable and like similar experience for people. Yeah. So I've always thought that VR has really interesting work applications, maybe more so than any other applications. Mm -hmm. I will say that um, I watched the demo of Vision Pro and read a little bit about Mm -hmm. it. I thought that their applications to work was super interesting. Um, But it also did convince me that like, oh, watching a a surround sound like movie in VR, that sounds pretty cool. And like, so some of the personal, that was first time where it wasn't the work stuff, even though I still think I would, I would use it for that. It was some of the other kind of personal entertainment stuff that kind of excited me. Sure. Um, but in terms of spending $3,500 on a product, I'm probably going to do that. If I'm going to do that, it's probably going to have to be for yeah. work. Um, you know, I've got an expensive MacBook right now, and I use it 95% for work, not for, like, fun. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting that they did still aim it at a, as a consumer product, though, not an enterprise product. Yeah. Huh. Right. Yeah. Would you use it? Do you imagine like working virtually in a, in a VR environment? Oh yeah. Or even a, an augmented environment? Yeah. I mean, that was what was interesting about Vision Pro, right? Like there was absolutely there was it was clearly like you could you could have kind of your your screens up and still be in the mm-hmm. room. You know, you didn't need to be fully immersed. I think it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I I grew up playing The Sims, so I to me I'm like, why not <laughs> like cross this over to my professional life? And um, you know, I think about facilitation and giving talks, which is something I really enjoy. And if I don't have mm-hmm. to necessarily um be on a plane with someone taking their socks off <laughs> um and their kid kicking me in the side <laughs> while the dad is in first class, I you know, I'm not entirely opposed to that. I do enjoy traveling, but I don't always want to do it. So if there's an opportunity to do that, or to your point, I also love whiteboarding. So if I could meet with my clients virtually and, you know, we meet in a, I don't know, virtual conference space and we're whiteboarding together or just chatting, that seems like a cool concept. So yeah, I wouldn't mind it at all. I, um, I think it was a few months back, I attended a like virtual conference and they had like a really? virtual conference hall where they were like, you could like kind of shuffle yourself into the rooms. You weren't able to create an avatar, but you were able to kind of like navigate virtually through this conference um, venue, um, like a huge convention center, which I was like, oh, this is fancy. Um, the visuals hmm. weren't the best, but I imagine Apple is going to, you know, step that up for us. Yeah. But just the idea. Was it, was so cool. this doesn't, you weren't like using VR he- hardware. No, there was that, no VR right? was hardware. Like yeah, no, it was just, it, there was a link in the invite. You clicked it and then it just brought you up to this platform, the site, and it had like the virtual convention center hall with yeah. all the different rooms for you to attend the talks. 
Um, and then you would click the room and it would just basically bring you up to what looked like a version of Zoom with the panelists and things like that. But just thinking about that going a step further where maybe I wear a headset and I see myself in this virtual conference convention center space sounds pretty cool to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you there, some of the applications of the Vision Pro they had were like sitting at a at a mm-hmm. game and feeling like you're actually at yeah. the game. Um, so you could you could imagine the parallel to that being you're at a conference, mm-hmm. but you're not actually at the conference. Yeah. And not only does this save on business travel costs, you know, it's say like you could see the case a few years down the road where for climate change reasons, mm-hmm. for travel cost reasons, yeah. like it's cheaper for us to actually. I mean. $3,500 is actually how much an average person would pay to go to one conference yeah, a year. Absolutely. Business travel. <laughs> right? So you, can, you, could, you could make a business case for investing in software like this if you've got a fully remote team where you could do equivocal experiences mm-hmm. and, and have like ancillary collaboration benefits and other kinds of things using some of this hardware. Definitely. I think the problem that you run into and what I'm assuming you ran into when you were trying to do your virtual conference same one that I've run into and I've tried to do equivalent things, latency issues, yes. like the, the site itself gets buggy when it gets a lot of people using mm-hmm. it. Um, oh, yeah. It starts to get a little, you know, overwhelmed by all the number of people on top of the fact that the people themselves are using all kinds of different computers with all kinds of different processing power, right. all kinds of different internet connections. It still becomes kind of a hardware and a software problem. Mm-hmm. When you're demonstrating something like the Vision Pro, which, by the way, is its own computer. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the things I wasn't fully expecting right. was that they were creating their own operating system, their own hardware and software that's basically a standalone. Mm-hmm. Like it's not an iPhone, you know, like it's not an Apple Watch where you have to have an iPhone really to get the full value right, out of right. it. It's a fully standalone computer, mm-hmm. um, which that was probably maybe the one of the most compelling things for me because, you know, they, were, they demonstrated people not only working in the office, but like when they're traveling. Yeah. Yep. How many times have I been in a hotel room and I just like have to pull out my laptop and I've got my like iPad as a second mm-hmm. screen because I don't have my normal second screen of my laptop. You know, you've got your like normal office setup right. and then you've got your travel setup, right. Right. which I'm sure you're experiencing right now. Exactly. Right? Um, and to only, to, to have to just bring one tiny, you know, relatively piece of hardware, that's pretty appealing yeah, to me. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, the second half of this question were, is around pitfalls, and you kind of touched on them a little bit here with like the the latency and the tech and people, you know, one of the things I saw were the panelists were struggling. So you definitely have to have a good IT support system who knows how to triage virtually with people that have, mm-hmm. like you said, different processing systems, different computers. Um, I also envision... One of the pitfalls being that this continues to create um, a divide between people, which is unfortunate. So um, really leaning more into like that loneliness epidemic that we're seeing, the mental health epidemic. So I do have concerns around that because having a a VR headset for a work environment just means that you're further isolating yourself from being around actual humans. And there's a lot of science behind just being around other like physically being around other people. Yeah, which we've talked about, yeah. but as a play devil's advocate, would you, if you already had a remote team, yeah. would this actually make it feel more like you were collaborating with those people and then like in the virtual environments that you're less alone versus like Slack or Zoom or like some of the tools we have now? Maybe, but how consistently would you be using it? Like, are, are people going to be using this like around that the clock? That is the question, <laughs> you know? right? 
That is the question. Because you, know? you could see, you could see like pulling it up for just meetings, yeah. maybe, or pulling it up for like specific scenarios. Yeah. I know. I'm curious. Um, so like, but... I would be like on a meeting and then be like, hmm, I wonder what else this could do. And then I would just never want to leave my house. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> so I do think, I mean, not just in a work context, but in a broader mm -hmm. context about the Vision Pro and people talking about this spatial computing quote unquote era or mixed reality or whatever you want to yeah. call it. I have seen some critiques saying basically that like, is this going to make us an even more isolated mm -hmm. than we already are? Right. There was this great uh, reel that do you know that the relationship therapist like thought leader Esther Perel? I know the name. I know the name. Yeah, she she's, you know, one of the, one of those like pretty big names. Like, I think she has a pretty, pretty popular TED yes. talk and she, she's a relationship, you know, uh, expert. And she, she has this uh, reel that I saw this week that was basically saying like, look, we work from home, mm -hmm. we work out at home, we do, we do basically everything out of our home. No wonder we can't make friends as adults. Yeah. We've lost all our social skills. Like we don't remember how to do this. Right. We don't remember how to say, hey, are you free tonight? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So like on the one hand, I'm like, ooh, yeah, this could, this could really exasperate that. But on the other, I'm like, could this create new connection points in the way that social media brought communities of people around specific topics that were marginalized before yeah. in, in good and bad ways, let's be honest. But like it did allow connection points for, you know, people that you couldn't talk mm -hmm. to before. Definitely. Definitely. So yeah. Long way of saying TBD. I definitely think it could work in a work environment. I think there's lots of potential there for larger society, just like any other advancing technology, mm -hmm. we have to be Aware of the unintended consequences up front. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great question. All right. Yeah, it was a really good question. Um, last question that we're going to take today. What should Target have done? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we talked oh. about this actually a few year, few weeks ago. Right. But we got a question that basically said, like, should Target have left up the Pride merchandise in the face of threats and violence? And then... What social obligation does a company have in the face of literal terrorism, which is how the questioner put it, and I think is pretty accurate when it's threats of violence. Right. Oh, what do you think? This one's so hard. I mean, so I don't know if you've seen the latest, but there have been roughly 200 LGBTQ plus um, or LGBTQIA plus groups that have been. Uh, that came together to basically send a note to Target to be like, uh, we want you to bring the merchandise back, please and thanks. Um, and they haven't responded. Um, I, I don't think they should have taken it down in the first place because I think it sends a message that people can just pull up to their store and act an ass and Target or whatever company is just going to cave into them and acquiesce and do what they want and take the merchandise down or put it back in the back of the store, which I don't think is right. Um, especially for Target that has been supporting Pride and putting out this Pride yeah, merchandise for track so, record. so long. I just, it was not the right move. And I think it's dangerous. It sets the precedent that, that other companies may get away with the same thing so that people can just come in and threaten employees or workers and then they're going to get their way or have their way, which I just, I think is wrong on so many levels. With that said, they do have an obligation to protect their workers and their employees. So, you know, yeah. what, what's the approach to that? I think they could have perhaps had security or something else, but I don't know. 
Yeah, we struggled this with this when this was in the news a few weeks ago for that reason. I mean, I I kind of give Target a little bit of leeway here in that they have had such a good track. Right, record. yeah. So the level of threats mm-hmm. or the or the um legitimacy of those mm-hmm. threats in terms of the credibility of them actually happening, I think that's something that you take in mind. Yeah. Must have been like an actual credible threat. That's the only reason why I could think they would react this way yeah. because otherwise I think they have like been pretty uh, principled in terms of their stand yeah. for um, the LGBT community. Yeah. Um, so uh, who knows? We obviously don't have, you know, access to, you know, what they're, what actually happened behind the mm-hmm. scenes. And we, like podcasters do, are <laughs> opining on things where we don't have perfect information. Right, right. But I think this is one of those things where balancing employee safety and trying to stand up for principle is a really tough call. Yeah. And in this case, we don't know if they got it right. 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 Um, I think that I, it, it's totally, it, it totally makes sense that the advocacy groups you were talking about would push back and say, please put this back on the shelf. That is absolutely their right. I think that's the right call for what they would do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's also right yeah, in this case. Definitely. Um, so who knows if they'll end up actually doing that, but it's, I, it, this is just part of a bigger disturbing trend to mm-hmm. me where, um, certain, not the whole right wing, but a certain uh, really radicalized part of the right wing media ecosphere is really driving mm-hmm. this kind of, like like the questioner said, like kind of terrorism yeah. well, around like progressive issues. Yeah. I mean, one of the uh, designers that has, you know, some of their products placed uh, in Target and was part of the Pride collection. I mean, their posts that they had on Instagram, the, the company's called Ash and Chess. They said that um, a majority of their collection was removed from Target stores due to threats from domestic terrorists. So they use that language, which is pretty significant. And again, you know, in an effort to protect their workers and their employees, to me, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. I, I think you can always bring back merchandise and products, but what signal do we send to If you people? think about it with that framing, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that gives you a sense of the seriousness here. It does. because, But it also, like, gives you a sense of the tactics because there's definitely a, like, plenty of, like, the U.S. government doesn't negotiate with terrorists. Right. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't care about American citizens or do right. everything it possibly can to protect its right. people, right? So, like, there's some, there's some lesson to be learned there about how to negotiate in these kind of situations mm-hmm. where, you know, you're doing this kind of domestic political threats of violence and terrorism and like what how how can a corporation learn how to respond mm-hmm. to that because this is going to keep happening absolutely absolutely um this is just the uh the the company that's at the forefront this week you know that's so right we'll see what happens and when it continues to come up in the weekly news you know that you can hear about it right here on the yes Leadership Podcast make sure you like and subscribe me and adriel yes yes absolutely but as we always do We want to end with some good things for this week. So let's do that. Let's do it. All right. Adriel, what's your good thing for this week? My good thing is that I am traveling this week, um, which I haven't done any travel outside of work travel in a while since the holidays. The the, family fun. Yeah, for family. So I'm seeing my family. I, you know, I love them. I would love to be on a beach right now, but. 
I'm really glad to <laughs> see them. <laughs> um, one of my cousins is graduating from high school, so I'll be at his graduation. It's the last of my middle uncle and aunt's children, so they are thrilled um, to have an empty nest soon. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a nice celebration for him, and I'll wow. get to see some extended family, which will be great, and really excited. Also super excited for my aunt's food, so yeah good times <laughs> <laughs> that's good i love yep. that yeah i mean I, I think it's fun i, I just went and visited family a few weeks yeah. back and it's always fun to reconnect with your roots i think it really kind of gives you a you know grounding yes. when it's really easy to kind of get lost yes. in the day-to-day -day of like career or whatever like going back to where you came from people you love you've loved for a mm -hmm. long time like remembering your history yes i it's really helpful. It, it really is and i i think i was at a point where i like really needed it i i usually try to visit my family every three months but time this year mm. has just gotten away from me and i'm like wow we're in june and i haven't seen them since um december so I, yeah i it was a good reminder to make sure that i make time to connect with them and just you know level set a little bit yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that one good thing. That's yeah, great. What you got? Um, my one good thing is a personal shout out mm -hmm. to a new podcast that me and our producer Dave Sendell are launching mm -hmm. called Best Album Four. You can go wherever podcasts are, you know, out, which, you know, you're listening to a podcast right now. <laughs> go to the same place you got there this you one go. and search for Best Album Four. Dave and I are huge music geeks we have been for a long time we've always geeked out about music and we are using this platform to basically talk about the best album for different scenarios best album for hosting a backyard barbecue best album for cratering a social network which is one of our first episodes <laughs> you can imagine how that one was yep. inspired. <laughs> love it but best album for apologizing to your kids was one of our topics nice. so we kind of get really fun with these scenarios some of them are really practical some of them are kind of off the wall and we just geek out about like albums we love that we feel like fit that scenario and also talk about music that's coming out right now and what we're listening to. Yeah. And it's just super fun. I love it. I honestly like love having a project that has nothing to do with my yes. career. Do you yes. know what I mean? It's just for super fun. Like I feel like everybody needs something you that you just do for fun because you love it. And this is mine. Dave, thanks so much for, you know, pushing us to do this. I love it. It's really fun well, you have a new subscriber i just subscribed if you're listening go subscribe to best album four and subscribe to leadership if you're not subscribed already <laughs> absolutely hit that follow button on both accounts love it. you're gonna love the first episode adriel I, I would i would venture to say that the albums that we chose uh -huh. for the first topic which as you can imagine is best album for starting a podcast amazing I imagine that you're going to love the music okay. we chose for we both I'm chose excited. for that. I've saved my, I, it's queued up on my Spotify account. Can't wait. <laughs> awesome. Well, Adriel, I hope you have safe travels on on your way back to New York and may your um may your plane be full of people with their <laughs> socks and shoes kept on. I hope so. I really hope so. All right. A pleasure as always. See you soon. Thank you, my friend. Talk Bye. soon. Thanks for listening to Leadership. Our producer is Dave Sandell. Thinking about starting your own podcast? Connect with him at davesandell.com. You can find more about Adrielle and her diversity, equity, and inclusion work at adrielleparker.com. You can also subscribe to her YouTube channel at youtube.com slash adrielleparker, 
for more candid discussions on DEI and for more insight on inclusive leadership. You can find more information about me, Caleb Gardner, and my work and hire me to speak on change leadership at calebgardner.com or 18coffees.com. And you can find my book, No Point B, Rules for Leading Change in the New Hyperconnected Radically Conscious Economy, wherever books are sold.